So good to have you here with us and uh, just hope you'll have a really blessed day. Thank you for joining us, those in the room, those online, those in the overflow room, uh, those children, great to have you in the room too. And as been mentioned, there's some activity packs for you to use during the message time. I also say parents, during the school holidays, I'm intentionally going to be a little bit shorter with my messages, bearing in mind the kids are in the room. If I go too long, I'll give you permission, start throwing things. Say, my kids are out of concentration span. Not after two minutes, but after 25 minutes, most certainly start throwing things at me and say, hey, we've had enough, we can't keep them still any longer. So we're in a series called Christmas is a Time. We've been looking at some wonderful themes in the last few weeks. I started the series before I started to leave a few weeks back saying Christmas is a time for sacrifice. I talked about how it's an opportunity to serve, honouring Jesus on our birthday, treating, as, at, treating the day as though it's his birthday and not ours. And I just remind you of the opportunity today for those who are available. You can join me at 4pm at the Lakes Anglican Church if you have no other plans. And there's an opportunity to be with the local community there and serve people in need. So that's 4pm today at the Lakes Anglican Church, straight up Discovery Drive. Uh, Discovery Drive, I should say that way. I'm geographically challenged every time I walk in this stream. That's Discovery Drive, right? Yeah, so join us up there at 4pm if you possibly can. So today, Christmas is a time for incarnation. Incarnation is how the church describes that God took on flesh, took on a human body and came down. And this whole process is described in this word, incarnation, God put on a human body and came to us. Now, we're going to pick up a reading this morning in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn there. You'll find it in the Version app if you've got an electronic device. If you search Access Church, North Lakes, all the notes are there today. Matthew 1 verse 18 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. How bizarre. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage. Now, parents... Uh, boys and girls, I should say, your parents would love to explain this verse to you over Christmas lunch. <laughs> so I'm not going to waste valuable time doing that now. But boys and girls, please, when you get home, ask your parents, what does verse 25 mean? And they'll be glad to tell you. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Our key verse this morning is back in verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel. In fact, our key thought is one simple word this morning, Emmanuel. 
In English, of course, that breaks down to mean God with us. There's my three points for us today. God with us. Let's consider this phrase by considering one word at a time. The subject of this little phrase is none other than God himself. God. First things first, consider that at Christmas. God. The previous church I led was a start-up, and uh, so I was involved in forming it. And over my eight years there, it grew steadily year by year and it became a strong regional church by the time I left and came here. But let me tell you, in those early days, things were super vulnerable. I was unemployed one day a week in the very beginning, and I think the report came back after my first Sunday in the role. The offering report, I think, was $112 from memory. Well, we weren't going to get very far with that amount of income coming in. So if survival wasn't a week-by-week proposition, it was certainly a month-by-month proposition in those very early days. It was like, have we got enough resources to keep going next month? Yes, fuel. Let's keep going again next month. Like anything in its infancy stage, a lot of outside help is needed. Who knows, a a baby doesn't survive with input from others. So to a baby church. And so I was very, very aware of this. And I made a call to a church an hour down the road in a regional centre called Bendigo in Victoria, a much bigger location than where we were. And this church, same denomination as us, but had a far bigger pool of people, some 1,000 people in the church at the time and about six on pastoral staff, and that was uh, Bendigo. The senior pastor there's name was Dave. He was a stranger. I had never met him before. I made a cold call. He later became a friend, but at this point I'd never met him before. I said, Dave, I'm responsible for this little startup up here in Moama. Would you be able to help? Now, picture the situation. This is a cold call. We have no history at all. I didn't expect Dave to say, I'll send one of my pastors up. We weren't at that level. I wasn't expecting anyone on his staff. I was like, Dave, can you spare me number 27 on your list? Just somebody that could come up and perhaps minister for a day or or come up with a team and lead worship, etc. Because we were desperate and we need help. We were just a baby. Church, that is. Dave stunned me with his response. He said, Jono, I'll come. I'll come. I'll come. I'll personally come. I couldn't get over that. I was like, whoa, I had very, very low expectations. I was kind of like expecting the phone call to end like along the lines of the check is in the mail, you know. Like, don't expect too much. I'll see what I can do and probably never hear from him again. But he stunned me when he said... I'll come, and he did. He didn't delegate the task, he said, I'll come. What makes Christmas Christmas is the who that came, the who that arrived. It was none other than God. He didn't send a delegate, he came personally into the room. He didn't just send a special human with a rare level of integrity or academic prowess or special giftedness. He didn't even send an angel, you know, a higher being with capacity to pass through the heavens. No, he said, I'll come, I'll come, Emmanuel, God with us. Hang on, you're losing me, Jono, some will say. I thought it was Jesus who came at Christmas. Now you're saying God came. So which was it? Well, who's it made Jesus then? The answer's becoming apparent. 
the biblical claim is that Jesus was none other than the Messiah. He was almighty. He was divine. He was truly God in the flesh. The first Christmas was God saying, I see the issue and I'm on my way. I'm coming myself to sort out this disconnect between God and humanity. I'm going to re-establish that connection myself. Jesus was God with skin on. The story goes of a little boy who's been sent to bed for the night. He's just five years old. And he keeps reappearing in the lounge room instead of settling down to bed for the night. Now, no kids in the room would ever have that issue, right? Never ever would you get back up after being sent to bed. I can't imagine it from any of you. But this particular boy was struggling with that. And he just kept reappearing in the lounge room over and over again and being sent back to bed by his parents over and over again. And finally, you know, the parents are getting exasperated with the situation. They say, every time you feel scared, just remember, God is with you. Just bring that to mind and you'll be able to go off to sleep. His response was, but I want someone with skin on. (laughs) Jesus was God with skin on. He came down to be with us. And when he was here, he showed over and over again that his, his identity was heavenly, his power, his authority, his divinity. He was no ordinary person. He was God. Well, with, uh, you might now think, well, how seriously can we take the existence of Jesus? I mean, isn't he up there with Mary Poppins and Humpty Dumpty or Bluey? I mean, is he a real historical character? Well, he's Historical expert John Dixon makes the following points. Good testimony boils down to three things. It will be early. It will be composed relatively close to the events described. It will be widespread. It will be corroborated by more than one source. And it will be credible. Historians ask, is the witness in a position to know the reported information or were they positioned themselves to speak firsthand to someone who was an eyewitness to the events? Now, in terms of New Testament material about Jesus, it's 11 out of 10 when it comes to those factors right there. It flies from a historical perspective. We can feel confidence about the existence of Jesus. This same historian, John Dixon, has gone on public records saying this, Jesus did live. I'll lead a page of my Bible. If someone can find me just one professor of ancient history in an accredited university who thinks otherwise. He's put the challenge out there worldwide to say, find me one, find me one professor in ancient history who will say otherwise. So yes, even secular historians admit the first Christmas happened. The birth is undeniable. What's still up for grabs, though, is his identity. A secular scholar won't concede that Jesus was necessarily God. And it's the same with a lot of Aussies. That Jesus is a good bloke? Fine. That he was a wise guru? Okay. Was he a prophet? Maybe. Is he worthy of respect? Sure. He was a good guy. But that's where it ends for a lot of people. They might even put him along with other influential religious leaders like Muhammad, Gandhi, Dalai Lama, Buddha, whatever. Okay, I'll put Jesus alongside them. Fine, I'll give him that. He sits in the company of the greats. But Jesus doesn't allow us that. Jesus makes exclusive claims about who he was. He says, I am the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. This passage, the passage rather to heaven has just one door and it's Jesus. Jesus is the way, not a option on the number of pathways. He's the solitary means of finding our way back to our heavenly father. Jesus makes claims that force us to show our hand and C.S. Lewis is right here in what he says. Jesus would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be uh, the devil of hell. But you must make your choice. Either he was who he said he was, a son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Lewis says, liar, lunatic or Lord, but, but you can't be lukewarm about it. You have to make a call. Friends, I've dedicated my entire life to studying the ways of Jesus. And I've made my call. I'm convinced of who he is. You have to make your own call. You have to take your own discovery. The baby in the manger, to me, most certainly, was God with skin on. And this first Christmas starts a new order where God is no longer up there. Emmanuel says, God is with us. So let's consider this second word, with. Maybe this is even more stunning. Not only that there was a God, but he came to be with us. With is a brief but beautiful word. It's loaded with meaning. However, if we were writing the biblical narrative, if we were responsible for penning the words on the page, I doubt we would have ever included this word. It doesn't belong. No other religious document positions their God with Humanity. No other religious document does that. We wouldn't have postured God in that way, not alongside. We would posture God to be above. It's scandalous to say he's here with us, among us. Every other God is an untouchable character. They're up there. They're beyond us. God over us, we'd expect that. God above us. God around us even. But Emmanuel is far more profound than that. It's the God of the universe wanting to be with us. Let that reality hit you this Christmas. God wants your company. If it, the Christmas message is anything, it's this. God is in the neighbourhood. He's with us. He's with us. He wants to be with you, to share life, to travel through the ups and downs. So much so he left the beauty of heaven and came down to be with us. Recently, Yvonne and I celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. We've, we've had a wonderful 10 years together, but like every couple, we've had hardships along the way. And uh, two hardships have been two miscarriages, two babies we lost along the way. And if you've been through the trauma of that, you'll get it. It's a harrowing experience. It seems like a reckless heartbreak kind of have your emotions shoved around all over the place. And one of these miscarriages in particular really did a number on me. And it was the second one. And because of our age, we married late in life. We kind of saw this as our last opportunity to be pregnant. And so we found out like late one week that Yvonne was carrying a baby. And I'm not a slow reactor. As you get to know me, you'll, you'll understand that. My emotions take a little bit of time to catch up. So, like she told me on Friday or by Sunday or whatever, I was excited. I was pumped by the idea that we were having a baby. 
And it wasn't long, it was within 48 hours or so, after just getting on this big high about it, that we realised we lost it. I found that so unusual and so disorientating. I was a wreck. Like, why God get us all excited? Only a few days later to end up all deflated. I can't tell you how hard it was to deal with that emotionally. I don't mention this to draw pity. Rather, it's a story of gratitude. Because in those darkest of times, there were a few people that were there with us. They were with us. And they were people who didn't bring along a Bible verse to slap on the situation. There were people that knew we didn't need a lecture. There were people with a certain measure of emotional intelligence that just knew the best thing to do was just to be with us. Nothing they could say would make things better. There was no kind of magic cure to the situation because words have limits, you know. But these few people God sent didn't come because they had all the answers. They came to be with us. Jesus walks with us. To have someone with you in life is of unsurpassed value. As you hear this, some of you are thinking, I wish, John, I wish, I wish, I wish I had a friend like that, like you're describing, someone who would just come along gently and not have all the answers and just be a calming presence. I wish, I wish I had a friend like that. We have an option. His name's Jesus Christ. There's no one better than him at going with you through life. The Bible says of Jesus, he's the friend that sticks closer to than you to it than a brother does. I mean, you remember when you were growing up, those siblings that you just wish would give you some space because they were just always there? Well, the Bible says Jesus is even closer than that. He's the only one that can guarantee his presence through all of life's ups and downs. In a year of social isolation. We've all been wanting someone to be with us. We have someone. His name's Jesus Christ. There's an old song that says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Every time we start talking, he starts listening. And even when we say nothing, His presence is still there in a profound way. God with us. Third word, Emmanuel means God with us, plural. Apparently God doesn't play favourites. He's available to all. His favour extends to every single one of us. Jesus isn't for the rich or the middle class. He's for all of us. He's not just there for the successful it's not, no matter whether we're black, white, tall, short, male, female, Jew, Greek, slave or free, Jesus is there for us. Some will say, Johnny, you don't understand, I have a, a shameful secret. I mean, if the church people knew, they'd all reject me. Maybe they would. But Jesus isn't excluding anyone. He's come for us Plural, he came for all. He didn't under, overlook anyone or undervalue any. We are all included in God's great plans for reconciliation. 
Equality's come a buzzword in recent times, yeah? Equality. But it goes way back. It was established back when Jesus Christ came. Because here in Matthew 1, the us covers everybody, all people. None are excluded. We all stand equal before this baby in a manger. Under his rule and reign, when Emmanuel come, we're all invited in. Christ destroys the pecking orders. Christ destroys the ranking systems that we might sometimes use. And we all stand equal in the face of Christ. In the modern West, there's a worldview developed, and you must understand it's foreign to the New Testament. But in Australia, us is really just a collection of individuals. We're still individuals, we're just here together, but in the New Testament worldview, it's nothing like that. It's never individualistic. Our culture tends to interpret things through the lens of me, myself and I. We're very much an I culture, not an us culture. The Bible is not an I document. It's an us document. The New Testament is always to be read as a communal document. It's how God works. This book is not a me book, it's an us book. It's not about me. And even in your New Testament, when you find the word you, like for example in Corinthians where it says, you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, please understand the you, although it's not captured in English, the you is plural. It's you together are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You is plural. This literally means in the words of the boxer, use all. Everybody in the house is in God for us. We've wandered a long way from this mentality. We've become a self-centered culture, unfortunately. And apart from Christmas carols, one of the blights of modern church worship is the I factor that's in so many of our songs. I've been responsible over the years of keeping catalogues of the songs we use in churches. And let me tell you, the I folder overflows every single time. The I folder is kind of this wide and the files either side of it are this wide. It's always loaded full songs that start with I. I, I, I. We love to sing about ourselves, apparently, and this has leaked into our theology where we start making up sayings that sound cute, but are they actually biblically accurate? We say things like, if Jesus came and you were the only person on the planet, he would have come just for you. Well, sounds wonderful, but I'm not sure it's consistent with the message of the Bible. This Bible says God loved the world. He had, he had the world in mind. Now, just a moment ago, Isabel led us by saying, Rejoice, O Isabel. Is that okay? Absolutely it's okay. Because, of course, this message touches us personally, but we must remember we are part of a grander story. We are part of a grander story and our salvation is part of that. Our relationship with God ought to be personal. We should put our name in there. But it's not private. It's something we share in together. We enjoy the goodness of God. God's interest is for the entire world. None of us are a central part of that. We all are together. It's together we get to see Emmanuel. Some of us have heard a million times before, God loves you. 
God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. If you've been in church before, you've probably heard it many times just in the one church service. Sadly, and it's almost a criminal act, but this concept starts to feel tight after a while. God loves you. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. God loves you. Yeah, yeah. It kind of just washes over us without really having an impact and touching our hearts. We get so familiar with it, it's no longer life-giving. Did you know God also likes you? He likes you. See, love can start to feel like an obligation. We're commanded to love, all right? So God's just following one of his own commandments by loving me. No, no, he likes you as well. He did all of this out of passion. He came to earth because he likes you, because he wants to engage with you, because he's passionate for a relationship with us. Just the other night I was listening to some Christmas carols and the drummer boy come on, the little drummer boy. The sentiments of that song are beautiful. Jesus, I have no gift to bring. Nothing fit for a king. What do I do? All I have is me. All I have is this little drum. And the song goes on. I played my best for him on my drum. Because that's all I could do. These words struck me the other night. I've heard them a million times, but they just went bang and hit me. Then he smiled at me. Parumpa pum pum on my drum. Then he smiled at me. Did you hear it? Who's smiling? Who's smiling at who this Christmas? God is smiling at you. Why? Because of the first Christmas when he came down and dwelt among us. He made a way to come back in relationship with us. So the God up there isn't this angry being ready to strike you with lightning when you get something wrong. No, no. Then he smiled at me. But John, you don't, you don't understand. I mean, my life is a mess. I'm not sure if I fit in at church. I have nothing impressive to offer God. I mean, that's right. Just come. Just come with your awe and that's enough. Like, God, are you really inviting me in? Yes, that's what Emmanuel's all about. God with us. The God of the universe stepped down and invited you, invited us into relationship. I hope you understand this Christmas how profound Emmanuel is. God with us. Would you stand for prayer as the music team come back? Almighty God, we are so in awe of you and what you have done. We never knew that all, of you, all you wanted from us is that we would come. We would come and just bring ourselves. Like that little drummer boy who feels so inadequate at what he can offer, but you smile because you say, you came. That's it. That's where the relationship connects because Jesus has already come to us. We see him with his 
outstretched arms and we come. And so we come this morning and some of us are coming for the first time. And if that's you, it's okay that you have a little reservation about it. It's like, what sort of response will I get if I did choose to come? I mean, you don't understand, John. I've made a train wreck of my life. Well, you'll see a smile if you come. You'll feel an embrace. You'll feel the warmest love you could ever imagine. And so if it's your first time coming, you just say, Jesus, please take me. Or if you're coming back home after being away, Jesus, thank you that you came for me. And now I come to you and I hand my life over to you. Please take my life. Put it back together again. And help me connect to the Father like I'm designed to. Thank you for Christmas and all that it means. We choose to come. But we all come. This come idea never reaches an expiry date. We all get to come this morning, this Christmas day and say, Jesus, here I am. Here is my life. Take me and use me. If you are someone who walks with Jesus each day, our challenge is, as Jesus would later say when he grew up and became an adult, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. So this Christmas, you go out in the spirit of Jesus and you feel yourself compelled, sent into the world to express this love that you've been shown into those around you. So Jesus, thank you that you're inviting us all to come this Christmas. And thank you that Christmas is merry because of who came. God, you didn't just send a representative. You came yourself and you came to be with us. Help us celebrate that this year. Help us spread that this year. Help us know how much we are loved. And because of that, we overflow with love for everybody that we should contact this day. Lord, we love you. We are in awe of you. Thank you, Emmanuel, God with us.